It's great to see you today, and uh, if you have your Bibles or something with your Bible on it, if you'll turn with me today to Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 24, and you can open up the YouVersion Bible app and follow along with the points and the scriptures as we go today. I'm, I'm not trying to be the cool pastor who preaches from the laptop today. Uh, my coolness is gone. Uh, I just don't. I just don't have a cool printer that worked this morning, so I'm going straight from the laptop. But I kind of like it because these older eyes can see a little bit better. So uh, I might try to be cool from now on. <laughs> but as you're finding Matthew chapter 24 and the YouVersion Bible app, I want to remind you that tonight we have our annual Thanksgiving night of worship at six o'clock. I hope you'll be here tonight. Uh, you know, we used to come to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night all the time and didn't think anything about it, but uh, it will be worth it. I'll give you a guarantee, okay? If you come tonight and it's not worth your time, you can take off next Sunday night. How about that? <laughs> we're we're going to have a great time tonight just celebrating all that the Lord has done in the life of our church over the last year. We're going to have a time of worship. We have six people who are going to be baptized tonight in the service. That's worth celebrating. Yeah, give God praise for that. We're going to have communion together, and we're going to have some testimonies. And this is one of my favorite nights of the year in the life of our church. And so I hope you'll come tonight at 6 o'clock to be with us. So uh, we are in Matthew chapter 24 this morning. Most of what we're going to read here are the words of Jesus. And let's jump in. We're going to look at the first eight verses. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered, watch out. Everybody say, watch out. Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places, but all these are the beginning of birth pains. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that when it comes to the future and the end times, God, your word's not silent. And I ask you today that you would anoint me to be able to speak with clarity today, Jesus, your words. Lord, as much as I can, help me to get it right today. I pray that you would give us understanding and alertness and awareness in the room today of how we can take some, some complex scriptures and apply them to the times we're living in. Lord, may the word today find its uh, place in our hearts. May it be deep-rooted and may it produce an amazing harvest. And we're going to thank you for all you'll do in Jesus' name. Amen.
message series called In the Last Days, and we began by asking the question, are we there yet? Are we living in the last days? And to answer that question, we looked at eight different passages by six New Testament authors, and we discovered that the answer is yes, we are living in the last days. But we learned that the biblical meaning of the last days is broader than we might expect. You see, according to first century Jewish apostles, they believe that the last days began with the coming of Christ, what we're going to celebrate here in a few weeks that we call Christmas, the first Christmas, Jesus' first coming, and that the last days continue until his second coming, which is yet to come. They saw it like this. They believed that we are living in the final stages of God's dealing with his people. And so when they use terms like uh, near or in the last days, they use them in a relative rather than a precise sense. Now, let's just come to the beginning of the message today and, and say that we all would like to have it much more precise, right? How many of you like to know what's going to happen next in life or what you're going to have for lunch or what's going to happen this week? And especially when it comes to these types of conversations, we kind of want to know what's next. But the scripture really doesn't give us exactly the timeline. It speaks more generally than precisely. And so in that thinking, what we did last week was we said, okay, what would this look like in a really broad scale? So we, we pulled way back and we said, okay, let's just look at a biblical timeline of mankind, all right? We have creation, we have the Old Testament promises and prophecies, many of which have been fulfilled, some of which are yet to be fulfilled. Then we have the first coming of Jesus that we read about in the Gospels, his life, death, and resurrection. Then comes the rapture of the church, the second coming of Jesus, judgment, and a new heaven and a new earth. And so one of the things I want you to see this morning is that just like first century Jews were awaiting the coming of the Messiah, we as 21st century Christians, we are awaiting the coming of Jesus as not just Messiah, but our coming, reigning King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. So the next thing that's on the calendar for us is the rapture of the church. You see where we are, we are, we are here between the first coming of Jesus and the rapture of the church. And don't miss next week, we're going to cover a lot. We're going to talk about the rapture of the church and the second coming in heaven all in one message and we might get you out of here by Christmas. We're going we're gonna to cover a lot next week. But you see where we are and the next big thing to happen in the, uh, in the history of mankind is the rapture of the church. And so we asked the question last week, are we there yet? Are we in the last days? And we said, yes, we are. But have we made it to our final destination? No, we haven't. And, and I want us to kind of use the illustration we used last week, like being on a road trip. And today we're going to talk about signs along the journey. Because, okay, we know that we're not at our final destination yet, but what are the signs that are going to let us know when we're getting close? 
It's kind of like when you're on a trip with your family. You're watching mile markers and exit signs and billboards to know when you're getting close to your destination. So what are some of the signs that, are, that let us know that we're going to get there? Well, this morning, we're, we're going to go deep. I hope you had plenty of coffee this morning. I hope you're awake 11 o'clock because uh, we're going to go deep. But before we do that, I want us to laugh a little bit. And I thought it might be fun, since we're talking about road signs, to see what are some of those crazy road signs that are out there that, uh, that you might see on the road. So let's take a look at a couple. I don't know if we really need that one. Um, maybe somebody does. That's probably not around here, maybe the, the Pacific Northwest. How many of you would like to see this one tomorrow <laughs> on the way to work, right? That one would be a blessing, right? Uh, I just leave that one right there. <laughs> and all the seniors are like, that, that feels a little too close to home, doesn't it? Anybody camped here? If you've driven in the west, west of the Mississippi, you know that would be an important sign. No gas or anything. What else we got? Now, if you know your fonts, you know and you can tell that next eight years is aerial. It's been slid in there. But wouldn't it be nice that they were honest with us? Now, you got to know your movies for this one. Somebody said that one might be in New Zealand where they filmed The Lord of the Rings. couple more. This is not very helpful, is it? And, and here's one more. Now, we actually saw this one when we went out west. I was thinking about our trip last week. Uh, there is a prison right outside of the Denver airport. And you see signs like this, and that's, that's pretty important to know. There is one more I want to show you, and, uh, and I think this one fits where we're about to go because a lot of times when we start talking about the last days and the end times, you kind of feel like, all right, here we go, everybody. Good luck, okay? I hope you can keep up today. But I believe that what we're going to look at today, the, the teachings of Jesus about the end times, uh, though confusing at times, hopefully God's going to help us today to be able to unpack this in a way that we can all get it. So let's talk about the context of, of what we're going to read today, where did it happen and when it happened, because this is really key to understanding. So, so do not check out in the next five minutes, okay? This is going to be key to where we're going today. So let's talk about Jesus' signs of the end of the age, okay? We hear Jesus share this in three Gospels. We see it in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. It's the same teaching in all three Gospels. We understand that Jesus taught this two to three days before his crucifixion. So if you think about it like this, on, on Sunday, we have Palm Sunday. He comes into Jerusalem. On Tuesday and Monday and Tuesday, he's teaching in the temple. And as he's finishing up his temple teaching on Tuesday is when we believe he shared this last day discourse with the disciples. We hear it in two places in Scripture. First of all, he first starts talking to the disciples as they're leaving the temple. 
and then when they get to the Mount of Olives. And we talked last week about how important the Mount of Olives is. And, and Mark's gospel tells us who's in the conversation. We learn that Peter, James, John, and Andrew, the two sets of brothers, are there giving Jesus these questions. And so this is how this went. Jesus has been teaching his most fiery teaching of all time on this Tuesday. He is letting the Pharisees and the religious leaders have it. He is, he's, he's given them both barrels, as, he, as we would say, because what he's going to say is going to accelerate him to the cross on Friday. And as he has said all of this, he's walking out of the temple, down the steps, and the disciples nudge him and say, hey, Jesus, maybe they kind of want to change the subject because it's been kind of heavy. They're like, hey, how about these buildings, Jesus? I mean, what do you think about this temple? I mean, it's pretty impressive, right? And they call his attention to the buildings. And Jesus says, boys, you see this temple? You see all these amazing, beautiful things? I'm going to tell you that not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. And he begins to walk to the Mount of Olives. Now, they're probably there thinking, what did he just say? And so they, he, they follow him to the Mount of Olives. And scriptures say that Jesus sits down. And it's at that point that Peter, James, John, and Andrew sit down and they say, Jesus, that thing you were just talking about, can, can we ask you a couple questions about that? So then they, they ask him these two questions. They say, that thing about the temple being destroyed, when is that going to happen? And it may be one of those things where it's like, we want to make sure we're not in town on that day. Can you tell us when that's going to happen? And also, Jesus, what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Now, if you're really paying attention, you might think, how are those two things connected? How would the temple being destroyed make them ask a question about the sign of your coming? I mean, he's not even left yet in the end. But in the disciples' mind, for the temple to be destroyed, this beautiful temple that they have just walked out of, that they worship at, they've heard Jesus teach at, they know how ornate and how important it is to the life of the Jewish people, they understand that if this temple is going to be flattened, that's going to be a really bad day. That's got to be the end of time. And so they ask him, well, when is this going to happen? And what will be the signs of your coming? And Jesus responds to them, and he talks about three specific events in this passage of Matthew 24. He talks about the destruction of the temple, when it's going to happen. He talks about his second coming, which we saw on the chart with us, we believe, comes after the rapture and the end of time. Now, here's the thing that can be confusing. When Jesus talks about these three things, he talks about them, and they're kind of interwoven together. So he's talking about one, and then he skips into another one, and he's kind of going back and forth as he teaches about them. And the other thing that we need to understand is that as he's teaching them, He's talking about things that are going to happen, that have happened in the past, things that are going to happen in the present, in their present time, and what's going to happen in the future, their future and our future. And that's why prophecy can sometimes be confusing and difficult to understand. And so when we study prophecy, we need to understand that prophecy often has a double meaning. It can have a near fulfillment and a future 
fulfillment as we, as we understand it. Now, it can be confusing, but here's what I want you to understand today and be encouraged by. Jesus didn't just say, good luck, boys, like that sign we just saw. Jesus didn't just give them a whiteboard and say, well, I'm going to tell you that the temple's going to be destroyed and uh, that's going to be a pretty bad day and guys, you know, I, I just make the best of it. He didn't give them nothing. Instead, he begins to unpack what we're going to put into six, six categories of his teaching. And this is what they are. First of all, he talks and gives predictions. Then he gives warnings. Then he gives timelines. Then he shares signs. He gives a couple of illustrations, and he wraps all of that up with some comfort. He leaves them with something that will encourage them. So this morning, as we look at what can be a challenging passage of Scripture to understand, we're going to look at it in, in this category. So there's going to be a lot of teaching today, okay? So uh, as, as I used to hear when I was a kid, put your thinking cap on this morning, all right? Lean in, stay engaged, keep your neighbor alert, and hopefully we'll all learn something together today, all right? So if you're ready, say I'm ready. All right, here we go. Jesus starts with predictions, and the first one is a big one. He says in Matthew 24, 2, he predicts the destruction of the temple. So again, he tells his disciples, you see these things, okay? This place is going to be destroyed. Not one stone is going to be left on another. And what he's talking about, history tells us it happened in A.D. 70 when the Romans, under the leadership of Titus, came into Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple. Jesus' words were fulfilled so precisely that when he said not one stone would be left on another, we understand that when the Romans came in and they destroyed that temple, that they even took parts of the temple as they destroyed it and they busted up the stones so that they could take the, the jewels and the gold that was overlaying on the stones. They could take them with them as they left. And so Jesus uses this major event in the history of the Jews the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. as a picture of what is yet to come, okay? So he talks about the destruction of the temple. Then he talks about the abomination of desolation. Whew, that sounds big, right? That sounds like the title of a horror movie or, a, or the next Marvel Avengers movie. Marvel Avengers 8, the abomination of desolation. I mean, that actually would work, right? But what in the world does that mean? Well, Jesus says in Matthew 24, when you see standing in the holy place, the holy place, he's talking about the temple. The abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel. So he's now he's talking, he's quoting Old Testament Daniel. Let the reader understand. So what does abomination and desolation mean? Okay, so in the Greek, those two words, abomination, means something detestable or shameful. The word desolation means devastation or destruction. So this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying the detestable thing of desolation. 
Okay, that still probably doesn't help you out. You're like, okay, what? All right, so let's, let's dig in a little more. What he's talking about, this abomination, is a person, a thing, or an event that defiles a holy place, which we have said is what? The temple. Everybody say the temple. All right, wake up. So we're talking about the temple, and thus causes it, be to, causes it to be abandoned, implying that God detests this thing or action. So what? All right, so we said a while ago that Jesus' teaching, it can fall in past, present, or future events. So he's talking about the past. He says Daniel predicted this. And actually, in B.C. 168, the abomination of desolation happened. We think, many people think there are going to be, there have been two and there's one yet to come, abominations of desolations. The first one happened in A.D., I'm sorry, B.C. 168 when Anachos the fourth Epiphanes, how would you like for that to be your name, that when the Jews were run out of Jerusalem, that he erected an a, uh, altar to Zeus in the temple. Okay? So can you see how that would be a big deal? For, for, for them to take over the temple and put up an altar to Zeus there, all right? That would be sticking it to the Jews, right? That is an abomination of desolation. That is a, a person or thing that defiles a holy place. Then, the second time it happened, A.D. 70, when the, uh, when the temple is destroyed, Titus comes in, he burns the temple, and he sets up an idol there to mock the Jews. 2 Thessalonians 2 and Romans, I'm sorry, Revelation 13 speak of the time at the end of time, in the tribulation, when the third abomination of desolation will happen, when the Antichrist will set up his kingdom in Jerusalem and he'll set up an image there where he sets it, well, actually he sets himself up as God in that place where the temple is. So those are three abominations of desolations and Jesus is talking in the past. Something that's going to happen in about 40 years because Jesus is talking maybe about 30, 33 AD. The temple would fall in what year? 70 AD, you got it. And so there's one more out there that's yet to come. Then Jesus' last prediction is great distress. And listen to what he says. Let all those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and shall never be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. So Jesus is talking about a day where there is going to be great distress. Again, this passage has double meaning. This great distress took place in A.D. 70 when the temple was destroyed. The Jews were run out of that area. First century Jewish historian Josephus actually described the destruction of Jerusalem in almost identical language as Jesus. 
This great distress also describes what will precede Jesus' second coming at the end of the tribulation period. There will be great distress. So Jesus predicts the destruction of the temple, abomination of desolation, and great distress. All right? Then he gets to his warnings. Everybody say warnings. And he's got several of those, deception, persecution, death, abandoning the faith, false prophets, and love growing cold. So, deception. He says, watch out. Watch out that no one deceives you because many are going to come in my name saying I'm the Messiah. And as the gospel was birthed in those first few years after Jesus' ascension, there were many who came and said, I'm the Messiah, I'm the new one you should follow, and the same will be true in the end. The Antichrist will come, he will put himself in a place, and many will be deceived. Jesus says, watch out, I'm warning you, don't be deceived. His next warning is persecution and death. He looks at the disciples and he says, then you will be handed over and be persecuted and put to death. Now, who was he talking to? Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Were Peter, James, John, and Andrew persecuted and put to death? Yes. I mean, within a month and a half of this conversation, Peter and, uh, and John would stand before the very men who put Jesus to death, and they would be put in jail because of their faith. James, John's brother, would be the first disciple to be martyred. You can read about that in the book of Acts. History tells us that Peter was crucified upside down. These men were persecuted and put to death. Jesus said it was going to happen, and it happened. Then he says another warning. At that time, verse 10, many will turn away from the faith and betray each other. Jesus is talking about the present tense, what's going to happen in the days and years and decades following his ascension and what we're seeing today. We know in the book of Timothy that Paul calls two men by name and he tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, he says, watch out for these two men because, listen to this, their teaching will spread like gangrene. They've departed from the truth. So these are men who had abandoned the faith. They were false teachers. And today we need to understand and know, and, and how many of you know that there are a lot of people in these last days who are abandoning the faith. We're seeing entire denominations that have been a strong core part of spreading the gospel here in the United States and all over the world, abandon what the Word of God says about marriage and sexuality. We're seeing people drop what this book says and foundational truths. And Jesus says, I want to warn you that in the last days, people will abandon the faith. Then in, in verse 11, he says false prophets will appear. In verse 20, I'm sorry, 23 and 25, he says uh, false messiahs and, and false prophets. And, and we know that we, we see that happen in that day, and we see false prophets happen today, right? 
You see these cats who will come on the scene. There was a guy who showed up about 15 years ago. I remember this guy. He showed up. He, he had a big TV program. He was knocking people down and punching people and doing all types of wild things and getting a lot of attention and making a lot of money. And it wasn't very long that it came out that he was sleeping with people in his ministry and pocketing all that money. I think we could call him a false prophet. False prophets are out there. Be very careful who you listen to. Be very careful. Then Jesus says, love grows cold. Listen to this. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Now let me ask you something. Are we seeing an increase of wickedness in our culture today? Absolutely we are. We looked at this verse of Scripture last week when Paul's warming, uh, warning Timothy, and he, he, he runs this list. He says there's going to be people in the last days who are going to be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. The list goes on and on and on and on. And are we seeing those things? Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God? We see that in our culture today, don't we? We see it accelerating in our culture today. And so Jesus says, because of the increase of wickedness, what's the result? The love of most will grow cold. This should get our attention. Because Jesus does not say the love of 10% will grow cold. The love of half the church will grow cold. He says the love of most grow cold. It reminds me of the words of Jesus to the church in Laodicea in Revelation 3 when he says, I know your deeds, you're not hot, you're not cold. I wish you were one or the other. I don't want you to be lukewarm because you're lukewarm. You think everything's okay. And we have many people in our church culture in the United States who are lukewarm and Jesus says lukewarm is real close to being cold. And as the increase, as we see wickedness increase, it would be very easy, easy for us to slide and be cold. So Jesus says, I'm warning you, be aware of deception, persecution, death, those who abandon the faith, false prophets, and love that grows cold. Then he gives some timelines. He says, okay, here, I'm, I'm going to give you some idea of how these things and when these things are going to happen. And of course, in Jesus' way, these are very broad. He talks about, he says the end is still to come. He uses the term the beginning. He talks about the gospel being spread. He says it is near, and he talks about a generation. So what's he saying here? First of all, he says the end is still to come. He says, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is what? Still to come, okay? So in that culture, they were seeing wars and rumors of wars. They were seeing false Christ and people who were deceptive. And Jesus says, these things have got to happen, but the end is still to come. And what Jesus is saying is that the word he used there for things must, that word must is a word that indicates that it is a divine or a logistical necessity. Those things must happen to get the ball rolling for the end times, but the end is yet to come. Then he talks about the beginning. Okay, He says all these things, 
It's the false prophets, the wars, the famines, the earthquakes. They're just the beginning. I mean, that, wow, that's just the beginning. That sounds like a lot. He says, they're going to happen in this generation right now that's before me, and they're going to happen with the generation that's yet to come. And as time goes on, these things are going to accelerate. That's one of the things I want you to see when we talk about the time, the signs of the times, and we want that preciseness, but what we can definitely get and understand is that when we look at the world around us, these things are accelerating. Do you see that? It's happening more, more often and quicker than we're seeing this. Then he has a little bit of good news here in verse 14. He says, and this gospel, what I am giving to you, the gospel, the kingdom we preach in the whole world is a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So again, Jesus has a double meaning, okay? So when he's talking about that the gospel will be preached in the whole world, there's a couple ways to look at it. The whole world at that time was just the Roman world. And we know that Paul was unleashed on three missionary journeys along with some of the other uh, apostles, and they spread the gospel through the known Roman world at the time. When Paul was under arrest in Rome before he was martyred for the gospel, he had a fourth missionary journey. He was planning to go to Spain. You can read about that in the book of Acts. And so Jesus says the, the, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world, and then the end will come. Now, I don't know about you, and it's some of you who are around my age, and, and, and uh, you've, you've been in church your whole life, you, you remember hearing prophecy people come and go through the years. I can remember as a kid and a teenager hearing people talk about this and saying that the gospel will be spread over the whole world. And I remember thinking, how is that even possible, you know, for, for the whole world to hear the gospel? And I look back and I think, you know what, at that time, it wasn't possible for the, whole, for the gospel to be spread all over the whole world. But how many of you know something happened in the mid-90s that changed all of this? I heard somebody say it, what? The invention of the internet changed it all. Because now the gospel is and can be spread all over the world through the internet. We also have incredible ministries like Wycliffe Bible Translators who are sending people into the remote parts of the world, into jungles and on islands to find people who don't have the Bible and they translate a gospel in their language so they can get it and understand it. Y'all, we are seeing this in real time. The gospel is being spread all over the whole world. And Jesus said, when you see that, then the end will come. Verse 33, he says, when you see all these things, all the things, and he says this at the end of the teaching, when you see all these things, you'll know that it's near, that it's right at the door. And he's talking specifically about the end of the tribulation, and we believe there. And it says in his second coming, and then he gets to this term that has been preached and dissected and talked about in a million different ways, and it's the generation. But I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have happened. So many times you hear preachers and, and pastors and, 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 and uh, guys who teach uh, prophecy try to unpack what this word generation means, okay? 
So guess what you don't have in front of you today? You don't have an expert in prophecy. But here's what I, I have learned in trying to learn and study this, is that this word generation, we think that maybe the way Jesus used it, as is true with so much of this passage, it has many different meanings, okay? So a lot of times you hear guys who try to say, well, generation means 40 years, so it means from 40, in this 40-year window, these things will happen. Well, you know, you could do that, but then it kind of loses because we're definitely 40 years past Israel becoming a nation in 1948, and then we define generation different ways. But, but just think about this, okay? Jesus, first of all, says to them, I tell you the truth, this generation, now he's talking to Peter, James, John, and Andrew, will not pass away till you see these things happen. Did that generation see the fall of the temple? Yes, they did, because it would happen. Jesus is talking about 30, 33 A.D. The temple falls in A.D. 70, okay? So we got to check there. Generation could also mean race, like the race of people, the Israelite people. And Jesus may be saying the Israelite people will not be wiped off the map till all this happens. That's a fair statement as well because we know that they have to be in place as we talked about last week. If you, if you missed last week's message, we did a deep dive on the importance of Israel and I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. I won't re-preach that. Um, and, and another possibility is that, that a generation is a particular error where people would, would see the end times take place. You know, we said last week, Peter said, with the Lord, a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. So I would encourage us not to try to figure all this out because we can't, right? Let's just try to lean into what we know is true. And, uh, and so there are the timelines. Okay, now let's go to the signs. Jesus gives us multiple signs, wars, nations, kingdoms, famines, earthquakes, pestilences, sun, moon, and stars. So what does he say about wars? He said, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. As long as everybody in this room has been alive, we've heard of wars and rumors of wars, right? Just in the last 110 years, we've had a World War I, a World War II. We feel like we're on the brink right now, possibly, of World War III. But Jesus says, see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Can I just encourage you today that um, we don't need to be worried about uh, our, that our biggest fear is global warming is going to knock off the planet. We don't need to have our biggest fear that, a, that an asteroid is going to come. You know, I don't know if you notice this, but it's like every year, you know, there's an asteroid that's going to kill us. You know, and then it's like, well, I forgot, forgot about it and that there was one coming until I, you told me this year there's another one coming. There's always something that everybody's predicting is going to end the world. Can I tell you when the world's going to end? When God says it's going to end. Because God's in control, and it's not going to be on the time clock of anybody but our sovereign Jehovah God, Lord Jesus, and their plan. Amen? All right? Then he says, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Here's something interesting. When you look at that word nation, the Greek word there for the word nation is the word ethnos. And when you hear the word ethnos, you immediately think uh, ethnic groups of people, right? 
So sometimes we think nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. We're thinking about, you know, the United States against China or Israel against Iraq. And those are certainly nations. But the word nation also refers to tribes or people groups. Have we seen an acceleration in different group, people groups coming against each other in the last few decades? Absolutely we have. Unfortunately, those of us who didn't live in the 60s, we've lived now long enough to see the racial wars come back front and center. Hey, everybody buckle up. There'll be another one next year. It's a, it's, it's a year that's coming. Don't be pulled into that garbage. Love your neighbors yourself no matter what they look like, no matter where they come from. Don't be pulled into a nation against nation, race against race war. We can notice that those are around us, and that's a sign of the coming of the Lord. It's important for us to do that. It's a sign. Then he says famines, earthquakes, and pestilences will, will come. Now, this verse of Scripture, I'm, I'm switching over to Luke's interpretation of this because Luke gives us a word that Matthew and Mark does, do not give us. They give us earthquakes and famines, and Luke gives the words, the word pestilence, okay? So were there earthquakes and famines and pestilences in Jesus' time? Have there always been earthquakes, famines, and pestilences? Absolutely. What's the difference in today? They've accelerated. They're happening even more. What does the word pestilence mean? Pestilence is a plague. Y'all know where I'm going now, right? In 2020, I remember reading an article by Billy Graham's daughter, Anne Graham Lotz, who talked about, she said this was at the beginning of, of the COVID-19 um, uh, plague and everything in the middle of March of 2020. And she wrote, she said, isn't it interesting that in the last 10 years or so, we've seen SARS, swine flu, Ebola, the avian flu, MERS, uh, West Nile virus, and now COVID-19. I think she's got a point. So let's just take what all, whatever you believe, and we have a lot of different beliefs about COVID-19, what it was, and all that, let's put it on the shelf. Let's take the one truth we do know. The one thing we do know true about COVID-19 is that it affected the entire world, and none of us have lived through something like that. That should get our attention. Jesus says a sign will be earthquakes, plagues, and pestilences. Uh, then he says sun, moon, and stars. He says immediately after all of this, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the skies, heavenly bodies will be shaken. Jesus is here talking about those things that are going to happen at the very, very end. And I believe that those of us who are in Christ will be in heaven, will be looking over the balconies of heaven at that. We, we won't be here for that. Those things are going to happen, we believe, right toward the end of the great tribulation. So those are some pretty big signs, but there's a couple of others that we've talked about in this series. When, when Israel become a nation in 1948, that is a massive sign because as we said last week, Jesus cannot come back and return unless the, the Jewish people are in their homeland and in a city called Jerusalem. 
We've said the acceleration of lawlessness is a sign of the times. And I would also say when we see the socio-religious and economic climate that we see in our day, everything that we are seeing is preparing us for a one-world government. When you look at our country right now who has been the leader of peace the, the only superpower left for a, for a while now. And you see us void of leadership at the top right now. We are in a position. I, only God knows what's going to happen in 2024. But I think most people, if even on both sides, would say we're in a leadership vacuum right now. We need leadership in the United States. Wouldn't it make sense that the perfect time for the Antichrist to step on the world stage is going to be when there is a world void of leadership. It makes sense, y'all, and that is going to be the thing that's going to happen. The Antichrist will step forward, and all the nations will come together to support this, this false Messiah who says, I can put it all back together. I can shine it all up. We can all come under one big umbrella and hold hands and sing, Come by, y'all. And he's named Antichrist because he is the son of Satan and he is going to usher in the darkest times of mankind. So we have signs. And then we've got illustrations. Everybody still there? You still with me? Okay. He gives us two illustrations, birth pains and, and the fig tree. Now, ladies who've had babies, you're going you're gonna to get this one, Okay. He says in Matthew 28, verse 8, 24, verse 8, all these are the beginning of birth pains, okay? So false messiahs, wars, famines, and earthquakes are just the beginning. One translation says the beginning of sorrows. So the earth has continually had birth pains all throughout its existence, right? Never have things been perfect. But now we see an acceleration of those things. They, they increase. And it's just like a woman who's about to have a child. She has a, oh, that is, is that it? We need to go to the hospital? Go to the hospital? No, false alarm, right? How many of you ladies had a false alarm or two, right? Yeah, many of you did. But then there's a point to where, you know, it's on like Donkey Kong, right? Here we go. And the birth pains accelerate, and they're getting more intense. And Jesus says, okay, you want to know how this is going to be like? It's going to be like a mama who's about to have a baby. Those birth pains are going to increase, and it's going to get more and more difficult. And, and it, all these things are going to accelerate in frequency until the return of Jesus. But here's a little bit of good news is that birth pains always produce a delivery. And the delivery here is the delivery of the return of Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords. That's a good time for you to give God praise today, church. Amen. So I can just imagine we're in the you know, Mount of Olives. Jesus is talking to Matthew. I'm sorry, he's talking to, to Peter. And he's talking to John and Andrew and James. And they've heard all this like you've heard it. And they're kind of like you. They're kind of like, what? What, Jesus? Eyes are rolling back in their head. They're getting, they're getting hungry for lunch like you are. Is this almost over, Jesus? Forget we asked 
asked that question about, you know, forget I even asked about the temple, Jesus. Let's go back to something more simple. And I think this is just so Jesus-like. He sees that they maybe are checking out, and he says, I got an illustration for you. I got something real simple that will help you to lock back in, guys. And he gives them the illustration of the fig tree. Hey, guys, see that fig tree right there? I got it for you. Look at the fig tree and all its leaves. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and you know that summer's near. Right now, we see the leaves dropping on the ground and we know what's near. Winter's near, okay? Even so, when you see these things happen, even though you don't understand them all, and that's kind of how we are today as we're hearing it and even as I'm preaching it, we don't understand all of it, but what we do know is that the kingdom of God is near. When we see these things accelerating, it's just like that fig tree. And so we land with comfort. Evan, if you'll come and begin to play. So Jesus said, okay, guys, I know that was a lot, so let me give you some things that are going to comfort you. He says, let's talk about the Holy Spirit at work. Let's talk about standing firm. Let's talk about the eternal word of God. And in the middle of all that, let's look at what he says. Mark records this. He says, you must be on your guard, guys. You'll be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. Did that happen? Read Acts 3, 4, 5, and so on. It happened. On account of me, you'll stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. We see that all throughout the book of Acts. We see Paul standing before Roman leaders and governors. And the gospel must be preached to all nations. When you're arrested and you're brought to trial, he probably is looking at them, and they're like, not us, Jesus. This is pre-Pentecost, right? We can't do this. And look at what he says. Hmm. When you're arrested, when you're brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time, for it is not you speaking but the Holy Spirit. When you read the book of Acts, mm -mm, you see one of those men, Peter, who's sitting there full of the Holy Spirit. He starts downloading and sharing deep verses of Scripture from the Old Testament. We've never heard him speak like this before. He stands in the next chapter and tells a man to get up and be healed. In the next chapter, he stands before the very people that crucified and had Jesus killed, and he ran and hid from. Why? Because he's seen a resurrected Jesus. You want evidence for the resurrection? There it is. We wouldn't be having these conversations today if Jesus had not come out of the grave. Do you think these men would have given their life for a dead man? They gave their lives and they preached the gospel truth because they had seen him and they had walked with him and they had heard this teaching and they saw him crucified and buried. But then they walked with him 40 days 
and they handed it to him. He handed it to them, and then full of the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus prophesied, the Holy Spirit spoke through them, and the gospel was preached to all nations. And in the middle of this, it's amazing that Jesus drops in. Is it in the? Is there? Is there, Give me. Is there one right before this? Jesus drops in the Great Commission. There it is. The gospel must be preached to all nations. Dropping that in there, guys, this is what's going to happen. So be encouraged, guys. You know, it kind of doesn't sound encouraging. You're going to be handed over. You're going to be flawed. You can go through all this. But the Holy Spirit's going to be with you. And then he says, guys, the one who stands firm to the end will be what? The King James, uh, New King James says, he who endures, that word endure means to remain, to bear, to hold your ground, to remain steady in the face of adversity, to persevere in faith despite the trials. Trials are not an indication that Christ, the Holy Spirit, has left you. It's only an indication that you need to lean further in to the power of God that's available for you. He says, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And then he says, and wraps it up, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Everything I poured into you boys for the last three years, everything that you're going to preserve through your writings and your teaching, it will last 2,000 years and beyond. My word will endure. So stand firm. Be full of the Holy Spirit. And so, those are the teachings of Jesus. There, are, there they are, all six of them all together. We look at everything that he unpacks there to those disciples, predictions, warnings, timelines, signs, illustrations, and comfort. And so what do we do with that? How, how can we take all of that into three points in a cloud of dust and take it home with us? Well, here it is. Here's the three things we need to know. Number one, our response, we need to know the signs, Okay. That doesn't mean we have to understand them all and keep our nose in revelation all the time and, you know, follow all the prophetic teachers and all that. But it does mean we need to be aware. And you guys are doing that today by being in this service. You're doing that today by watching live stream or catching up later. This is what we're talking about, knowing the signs, staying engaged with what's going on. The second thing that we're called to do is to hold to truth. Right out of the gate, when Jesus began teaching, he says, see to it that no one deceives you. Those who stand firm will be saved. Church, we see it around us all the time. Truth is relative in our culture today. And that's why Jesus said, those who stand firm, those who endure will be saved. Do not give in to the doctrine of our current society that says love conquers all. Just be who you are. You know, love is love. All of that garbage. Stand on the word of God. 
stick to the truth that this book says about the sanctity of marriage, the sanctity of life, how God talks about sexuality, stay according to the Word of God. Amen? Don't back down off of those things. And it's not just the headline things. Don't back off the truth that Jesus still is the only way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's the only way to get to God. You can't mash up Jesus with some other world religion and find your way to heaven. Jesus is it. The road is narrow and few there be who find it, Jesus said. There are still people who are going to get in and people who will not get in. But Jesus spread his arms open on the cross and said, Whosoever will. He's made a way for all of us. Are you thankful for that today? Rankin Church of God, hold on to the truth. Don't let it go. Hallelujah. And then, this is the last thing he says. Fan into flame. Fan into flame everything. Because if you don't fan into flame, what happens? You grow what? He said. Because of the day of wickedness, you do what? You grow what? You grow what? Or you get lukewarm. And so that's the last thing you've got to know, fan into flame. Keep it going. Keep it stirred up. Stay hot. When you, anybody know what it's like? Anybody know how you feel when you feel lukewarm? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know how you feel when you start cooling off. When you start cooling off, that means you need to lean in a little bit more. You need to get in the Word. You need to get into prayer. Because the enemy, what he wants to do is find you in that cold, cool moment and turn down the temperature of your faith. Don't let him do it. Oh, my goodness, stay on fire and hot with the Lord. Do whatever you got to do to surround yourself. You're doing it right now. You're here on a Sunday morning worshiping God, hearing the Word. You're going to be here tonight at 6 o'clock engaging in worship. What does that do? It fans into flame what God's doing. When you guys are getting together on Wednesday night and worshiping God, you're fanning into flame what God is doing. When you encourage somebody else, you wrap your arms around them and you tell them how proud you are of the work that God's doing in your life. Girl, you're tearing it up for Jesus. That's fanning the flame. I'm sorry, I'm probably spitting in your face. You're fanning in the flame. You're changing the history of your family tree. Fanning in the flame. Walking in a healing after a cancer diagnosis. Praise be to God. Fanning in the flame. I said, look what the Lord has done. Woo! Giving up on church. That's what he said yesterday. You're not giving up on church. But God's relighting that in this family. Fanning in the flame. Oh, hallelujah. Stand on your feet today. And let's give God praise for that. Hallelujah. Thank you today, God. Lord, may we be found as a people who are not cold or lukewarm. Oh, God, fan into flame into us, God, so that we will not be found lost. God, let us not be so influenced by the wickedness of our culture
that we lose our passion for the things of God. Let us not give in to the lies of the enemy who would cause us to pull ourselves out of the Word and worship and fellowship. God, keep us hot. Help us to be good at keeping our own temperature, Lord, and fan into flame what you're doing. Thank you, Jesus. So we just lift up your hands. I just sense the Holy Spirit right now moving in this room. Just say, God, fan into flame in me. God, don't, don't let me cool off. Lord, if there's anything in me that's lukewarm, God, reveal that in my life today. Reveal in our lives today if there's places in us, Lord, where we're cooling off, where we're not walking with you, where we're not abiding in your presence, Lord. We want to be found faithful in these last days, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done. Oh, God, keep us. Keep us, oh, Jesus. Lord, we pray that over our lives today, God, that we would be aware of the signs. Lord, we would know the signs around us, Lord, that they wouldn't cause us to freak out, but they cause us to look up. Lord, that as we see those signs around us, they would motivate us to share the gospel with a hurt and dying world, even people who don't want to hear it. Lord, help us to see those signs and share the truth of the gospel. Lord, we pray that you would help us to hold on to truth. Pray that over your life right now. Parents, pray that over your children right now. Grandparents, pray that over your grandchildren right now. May my children, may my grandchildren, may my family hold on to truth in a culture that says truth is relative. Lord, help us to heed the words of Jesus who said, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. God, give us eyes to see the deception of the enemy and not fall for his deceitful, evil ways. Oh God, we pray. God, help us to hold on to truth. And Lord, as Paul said to Timothy, God, we fan into flame the gift of God in our lives. Oh, Jesus, may we found, be found faithful and on fire for you in these last days. Abiding in you, bearing fruit, and sharing the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, I want to ask the question today, if there's anybody here this morning who would say, Pastor, I am not ready. If Jesus were to come right now, I'm not in a relationship with him. I'm not following Christ. There's sin in my life. I'm not living under the authority of Jesus Christ. I'm in control, and I need to submit my life to him today. Would you pray with me? If that's you, would you raise your hand and put it right back down? Is there anybody here today? Let's see one, two, three hands. Any other hands this morning who would say that? Raise your hand, put it right back down. I need to come under the authority of Christ. I need to repent of my sins. I need to make sure things are right. I need to change the direction of my life. I'm living for me and not for him. And you sense him just knocking on, your heart's beating 100 miles a minute right now. That's the Holy Spirit drawing you to him right now. Anybody else? Anybody else before we pray today? 
If you didn't raise your hand, you could still pray this prayer, but I want all of us to pray this together today. The scripture says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Paul says if you declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So today, we want to invite you to pray this prayer with us and make a decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life and to follow him. Everybody praying today together, nobody praying alone. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. I ask you to forgive me. I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. I believe he took my sins to the cross. I believe he died in my place. I believe you raised him to life. And I'd like to trust him now as my savior. I want to follow him as Lord from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Let's give God praise today. Thank you, Jesus, for those who made a decision for you today. If you made a decision for Christ today, your next step is to fan into flame what he's done in your life by being in church, finding surrounding yourselves with people, share this decision you made with somebody today. I want us to leave today in worship to celebrate our good, gracious, and awesome God and His Son, Jesus. Let's sing this together today.
the church of Christ was born, then the Spirit lit the flame. That this gospel truth of all shall not kneel, shall not faint. By His blood and in His name, in His freedom I am free. For the love of Jesus Christ, who has resurrected. today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus, we thank you today for your word. We thank you today for the truth of your word. And we thank you that you leave us with hope and encouragement. May we go and be the people that you've called us to be. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We